growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Adversity wants you to feel fear. Adversity wants you to feel neglect. Adversity wants you to feel alone. God wants you to choose to believe Him. Do you ever feel like the deck is stacked against you? Ever feel like adversity is pounding at your door and won't let up? All of us face adversity in life. Sometimes it's something huge. Sometimes it's not as serious. But it's still adversity. The question is, what can we do about it? It is in the brooding, dark times of our life. It is when the waves are crashing and the wind is howling. It is at those times in our life when we recognize how much we need God and how desperate we desire to draw near Him. And as a result of that, how much we can experience His presence in our lives. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. The truth is there really isn't anything we can do about adversity. As Pastor Clay is going to explain today, adversity is simply a part of living in a sin-cursed world. But we can prepare for adversity. And as you'll hear today, we can even have victory throughout adversity. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message in our series, Alone. Adversity is just everywhere you turn. Yes, yes, I feel that way at times in my life. Uh, things, things happen and uh, come out of nowhere, left field, and I'm not expecting, all of a sudden I don't know what happened, and here I am in the midst of all this, and life doesn't make sense, and all this stuff is going on and going, going all over the place, and Adversity, adversity, adversity. It just, it just seems like it just never seems to stop at times in our lives. And as we start this morning, there are a couple of ideas that I want to throw out to you. Or, or you probably realize this already, but I want to remind you of it before we get into the text in just a few moments. A couple of ideas just to keep in mind as we're, as we're talking today about adversity and facing adversity alone. Hence the name of this series, looking at biblical characters who faced certain events in their life alone. How did they handle it? What did they do? What did they get right? What did they get wrong? What can we learn from it for our life for those times when we feel alone? And we have those feelings as well at times, don't we? A couple of ideas that I want to start with this morning. And the first one is simply this. Adversity is no respecter of persons. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what language you speak, it doesn't matter what color your skin, it doesn't matter how much money is in your uh, uh, checking account or not in your checking account. Adversity is no respecter of persons. This morning we are looking at the life of a young man by the name of Joseph. Now Joseph, the, the predominant record of Joseph's life takes place in... Uh, Genesis chapters 37 and then 39 through 41. It continues on through about chapter 50, but the predominant portion of the record of his life is in chapter 37 and then, and then 39 through 41. Joseph uh, was a, a guy that, uh, from all appearances, uh, led a charmed life. He, uh, he had everything going for him. He was from a wealthy family. He was good-looking. He wore stylish clothing. He was loved. 
by his mother and his father. And then one day, adversity came a-calling in Joseph's life. And everything, I mean everything, changed. You know that experience? Hey, and, and Joseph wasn't, Joseph wasn't a, a troubled kid. Joseph uh, wasn't uh, involved in gangs. Joseph wasn't uh, into drugs or had, hadn't, Joseph had, Joseph, Joseph was, Joseph was the golden child. Joseph was the one that, that uh, by all appearance was, was godly and, and he's a 17-year-old young man. Uh, maybe somebody in here is 17 years old. Maybe some of us in here can remember being 17 years old. He, 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 as I said, he, he's, he's, he's well-to-do. He's from a wealthy family. He's well-loved. But here's the deal. It didn't stop adversity from coming into his life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, and I mentioned that at the beginning, because sometimes when we're in the midst of it, when we're in the middle of it, we can begin to think, why? Why is this happening to me? What did I do to deserve this adversity to come into my life? Adversity is no respecter of persons. The truth is you may not have done anything to cause the adversity to come into your life. It may have just come rushing into your life. We live in a sin-cursed world. And part of the result of the sin-cursed world is adversity. And it comes to everybody. I can promise you this, every single person who will watch or listen to this message in this room this morning, on our podcast, in the live uh, Facebook feed, uh, at home, in their car, on the other side of the world, every single person who hears this message is either coming out of some adversity in their life, about to enter into some adversity in their life, or is smack dab in the middle of adversity in their life right now. Adversity is no respecter of persons. And here's the second idea that I want to share as we start uh, this morning. Adversity isn't penalized for piling on. In football, a player who hits another player late or jumps onto the pile after the player is down, is penalized. By the way, the reason Matt uh, couldn't sleep last night was because his Clemson Tigers beat my Florida State Seminoles. So that's why he was so excited and couldn't sleep. But when a, when a, when a player is guilty of piling on, he's penalized. That is not the case with adversity. Adversity just keeps coming sometimes. Okay, so I don't think anybody would argue that adversity comes into our life. There's an old saying, I don't know if it's still said, but it is old, that there are are two uh, certainties in life, right? Death and taxes, right? All of us have lived long enough to know that you can add at least one other certainty to that adversity. Is going to come into our life. There's no way to cover all of the text today. Uh, so I'm going to have to hit some of the highlights, quite honestly. Or you could say the lowlights. Because what came at Joseph, what came into Joseph's life, was at times absolutely horrific. So rather than, the, the technical term would be to exegete. Rather than exegete a text, we've got to exegete Joseph's life. Or at least a chapter out of Joseph's life. And it was a long chapter, folks. 
Joseph is 17 years old when adversity shows up at his door. He's 30 when, when it finally ends, when that part, when that at least finally ends. So we're going to look uh, this morning at Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20 and then talk maybe perhaps more about the text as we make our way through it. But what I want to share with you this morning as quickly as I can is uh, four excellent tips. Excellent tips. Can can y'all hear a hint in there? Something coming? (laughs) Four excellent tips for you when adversity comes in to your life. Is adversity coming into your life? Yeah, it's going to come. May not be right now, and I'm not, I wish you no ill will. I'm just telling you. Genesis chapter 37. Thank you all for being here today. Uh, missed you last week, but so glad to be back uh, today. Genesis 37. The text is on the screen, but if you have uh, a smartphone, has Bible app, or your iPad, or uh, a hard, hard copy, open it with me, Genesis 37, and let's follow along and read the Word of God. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac's father was Abraham. So uh, this is just moving forward in, in time. Jacob, whose name is also, he's also at this point been also referred to as Israel. His name was changed to Israel. It's where the nation comes from, his 12 sons. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. And these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. That's right, his father's wives, plural. (laughs) A foolish man. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, or, or Jacob... Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very, very colored tunic, a multicolored tunic, a coat of many colors. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please, uh, listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. They're, They're gathering up wheat. And lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to the pasture, their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. And then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me 
So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, uh, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And then the man said, they have moved from here, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. They didn't forget, did they? Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we'll say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. What did I say? Four excellent, is that what I said? Excellent tips for adversity in your life. Here's the first excellent tip. Expectation. Get it? That's, that, make that connection? That's, I'm, I'm, I'm a genius. Expectation anticipate adversity coming. Part of the start of this thing is just anticipating, recognizing that adversity is going to come into my life. I would venture to say, based on what we read here, based on what, you, what seems to be of what we're hearing about Joseph, is that Joseph seemed to not anticipate this adversity coming into his life. But he should have, right? I mean, really, it it seems hard to believe after reading this, it seems hard to believe that Joseph would have had no clue of the growing animosity of his brothers uh, toward him. But he, he, he seems to be clueless about it. And... It's possible, and I don't want to hang this on him for sure, but it's possible that Joseph could have egged some of this on himself. Now, God had his purposes and plans, and, and, and Joseph seemed to be a very godly young man, but one thing we can say for sure is Joseph wasn't perfect. Joseph was a sinner like all of us, and I'm sure Joseph could get in the flesh like any of us can at any time in our lives. I have more to say about that. Uh, hopefully in a minute. Now, for us, it may seem in some sense, it may seem hard to believe that brothers could treat each other the way these brothers treated Joseph, right? I mean, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Yeah. Any of y'all have brothers? Your brothers ever do anything to you? None of them probably did something like this, right? Hey, hey, let's kill him. Now, they may have said it, but right? They didn't. So it may seem kind of hard for us to understand, really, how, how could that be? Really? I mean, they're going to murder him? Well, keep this in mind. They were technically half-brothers. They had the same father, but they did not have the same uh, mothers. Joseph was born to Jacob, or Israel, as he's sometimes called, uh, was born to Jacob and Rachel, the, the wife that Jacob truly had a deep love for. And was not afraid to, to say it. His other uh, eleven, or ten of his brothers grew up with a different mother. The two listed, Bilhah and Zilpah. I think something like that. Which means they probably, in that cultural context, they probably grew up in a separate tent from Joseph. The wives probably, there's a wealthy family, they probably had separate tents as they traveled around. You may say, well, big deal, a separate tent. I mean, how... 
how big a deal would, could that be? Re- remember, and, and if you go back and you read the Jacob was, was unabashed about his uh, preferential love for Rachel, that he loved Rachel. He had these other wives, but he loved Rachel. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just guessing there may have been some jealousy uh, with, with some of the other wives and how, how, how they knew Jacob was unashamed to talk about his love for Rachel. I suspect they would have passed that same jealousy on or would have shown up in the lives of their sons. And as a result, Rachel's son, Joseph, would have been seen as the one getting preferential treatment over them. And let's be honest, he was, right? Right? Write this down. Jacob, Jacob's marital and uh, parental skills are probably not one that we would want to copy. So, uh, Joseph just, he's obeying his dad. He's going to go see what his brothers, how, how things are going with his brothers. And, and wham, here comes adversity into his life. Let's, let's murder him. And they end up getting this debate. Y'all know that if you read the story, they get in this debate about, oh, maybe we'll just, maybe we'll just, maybe we'll just sell him to this, this traveling caravan as they go by. We'll sell him into slavery. That was more profitable. That's what they end up doing because that's, that's more profitable. But the point is, uh, Joseph probably should have been looking for adversity coming as a result of all that's going on, right? Hey, hey, guys, <laughs> I had a dream. And uh, uh, this, uh, uh, these uh, sheaves, these gatherings of the wheat, you know, my, mine stood up and it was real tall and all y'all's bowed down to mine. Hmm, I wonder what that could mean. I, I guess in, in, uh, in my life, probably the greatest uh, physical adversity I've, I've ever faced is the uh, motorcycle accident that uh, Ed Alexander and myself were involved in a little over uh, two years ago. Um, it, it was, now, I, I want to stop. I do want to say this. Uh, we're talking about facing things alone. I did not face uh, my physical adversity alone, right? Cindy was there every second of every second. She refused to leave the hospital. She stayed by my side. She ministered to me. She took care of the, the nurses. She stopped even coming in because Cindy just took care of everything. And, and when I got home for months and months afterwards, and uh, what, what my wife did for me is I could never repay and I could never explain enough how great her love and devotion and service to me was. I was not alone. And you as a church body were there with your prayers and, and your financial support and your, and your visiting and, and, and on and on in, in so many different ways. So, so I, I was not alone in that adversity. Ed was not alone in his ad- adversity. But here's the point I'm making. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't looking for that adversity. Now, everybody gets on, gets on a motorcycle. How many motorcycle riders we have in here today? Have any motorcycle riders in here? It's like, I've, I've still got mine. I, you know, right? Steve Pierce is with us that day. He, he's not back from South Africa yet, but uh, he, he, he doesn't have his motorcycle either. So anyway, uh, anybody that rides a motorcycle gets on a motorcycle understanding that there's an element of risk, right? You understand that. There's an element of risk. You're not as protected as you are in a car. And so you try to ride as safely as you can. You try to watch for other people. You, have, you always assume the other person is not looking or doesn't see you. Uh, you try and take all the precautions that you can. But on that particular day, going through a small little rural town, just making our way to the mountains... And in a split second, a, a, a young lady who could not wait to read a, one text, just couldn't wait to read one text in an instant, 
uh, slams into the back of a car and sends that car into me. And in an instant, a fraction of a second, I'm in the front end of an SUV. And my physical life is changed for the rest of my life. I realized there was an element of risk, but I wasn't anticipating adversity coming in to my life. We should. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 16. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Now, watch what he says. Here on earth, you will have many, many, notice that adjective, many, what's the next words? Trials and sorrows. In, in, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. In other words, Jesus says, listen, hey, newsflash, it, it's the world. It's the sin-cursed world. There's going to be bad stuff. Some of it will come on you because you're a follower of Christ, but just bad stuff in general happens. You want peace in the midst of that? Then you better sell out to me. You better give your life to me. You better commit your life to me so that you can experience everything that I want you to have in the midst of that whirling tornado of adversity that's going on in your life. Anticipate it. Now, let me say this because this is really important. Anticipating adversity, uh, expecting adversity does not mean that we, that, we, uh, that we live our lives in fear. It does not mean that we go around looking over our shoulder to see if adversity is about to jump on us. It does not mean that we pull down the shades and pull up the covers and, and lock ourselves away and, and never go out in the hopes that somehow adversity will miss us. no. No, no, there is too much life to be lived and enjoyed. There is too much ministry that needs to be done. There are too many people that need to see the love of Jesus Christ lived out in our lives through our adversity. No, it doesn't mean we live our lives in fear, but it does mean that I at least recognize the need that, that it is going to come in my life. And here's what it will do. The expectation that adversity will come will keep me from falling into um, an emotional funk when adversity does come. You, you understand? It will keep me from, it will keep me spiritually grounded to be reminded, hey, this is the world I live in, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the, where? World. It's, it's expectation. Okay? Second excellent tip uh, today, examination. Investigate adversity's cause investigate adversity's cause. And again, in, in Joseph's case, I don't, I don't want to read too much into this. And I'm, like I said, Joseph was a, a godly guy, but Joseph was not uh, perfect. Is it possible that he, did he, have to, did he have to tell him the dreams? I don't know. Did he have to wear that lovely, beautiful coat every day in front of his brother's? He probably walked fast so it whirled behind him and looked really... Did he have, I mean, every day? Did he have to do that? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure if he had to do all of that. But here's what I know. It's never a bad th- thing. It's never a bad idea to examine the adversity that comes into our life. Now, as I said earlier, adversity comes, right? It's no respecter of persons. It's, it's not penalized for piling on. Adversity is going to come, but... It's never a bad idea, just said it's never a bad idea to examine my life, to examine the adversity that's going on in my life, and to say, is, is there some possibility that, that some of this is, is on me? It's never a, a, a bad idea in the midst of, the, of our 
praying to, to perhaps pray and ask the Father something like, God, is there anything in my life that should not be there? In the midst of adversity, can you ask that question? Father, is there anything that is out of your will in my life? Is there anything going on? Listen to me. Listen, listen very carefully. I'm not saying that everything that happens in our life is our fault. In most cases, it's probably not. But is it an opportunity to examine my life and examine that adversity and look at it and say, okay, am I where I need to be with God right now in my life? Have I let something come in? Have I, am I neglecting something? Because, like any loving father, God will discipline his children if there's something that doesn't, that, that's not right, that he wants something else for them. That's what any loving parent does. So to take adversity and to examine it. Let me give you, let me give you an example. It may be an extreme example, but let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that I, uh, that, that I begin to run around on, on Sydney. I begin to see uh, other women, other woman, whatever. I begin to have an uh, affair on, on her. And it comes out because it always comes out. Maybe you've read this passage of Scripture in Exodus uh, chapter 32. And be sure your sin will find you out. And it comes out. And I lose my wife. And I lose my relationship with my children. I lose my relationship with my grandchildren. And I lose my ministry. Because you should fire me immediately. And I lose my home. And I lose my family. And I... I lose my guitar collection because I got a higher lawyer. I, I, lose, I lose it all. I lose it all. At that moment, am I going, well, why is this happening to me? What, what, why, why am I having to go all, through all of this? Yeah. You understand, what, you understand what I'm saying? I'm just saying that, like I said, maybe that's, but that, I, the, what, what happens to me, the adversity that comes into my life as a result, is a result of my action. Or, I mean, it would be if, if that were a real situation. But it, it's not. But you understand what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, I mentioned earlier that we, Cindy and I went back last week, went back to Okeechobee, Florida for my high school class reunion. My 40th, yes, thank you very much, my 40th high school class reunion. And, many of the, and it's the first one I'd ever been back to. And so literally most of those people I had not seen in 40 years. It was, whoa, yeah, it was, it was like, anyway, I... The stories I could tell, but I don't have time. But it, it made me think of this. When I was in high school, I worked at the Burger Queen. That's right, the Burger Queen. I flipped burgers at the Burger Queen. David Sheedy also worked there. That's right, his name was Sheedy. David, when he worked the late shift, the closing shift, as it got close to the time, closing time, David began to give some of the food that was still there, was still left over. He began to give some of the food to some of his friends who would come in near closing time. Coincidentally, they began to come in more and more toward closing time. He would give away food to them uh, because we were about to close. And in David's mind, it's like, well, it's just going to go to waste. If I I don't give it to somebody, it's just going to go to waste. So I might as well just, just give it to my friends. Well, when management found out about it, they gave him a raise. No, no, they did not. No. They fired him. They fired. They fired Sheedy. They fired him on the spot. And he was like all mad. He's like all mad. What? Uh, 
that I'm being treated unfairly. What did, I, what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, yeah, you kind of did. You were giving food away. And one thing I've learned in my short experience in the fast food industry is that when fast food restaurants give their food away, they tend to go out of business fast. Do you understand? The, the adversity that came into his life in that case was, that, that was on Sheedy. Cindy's mom died of lung cancer at 59 years of age. She suffered a great amount in the last few months of her life and died in an extreme pain. She also smoked from the time she was 13 years old, basically non-stop. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just telling you, sometimes adversity has to be examined for my own life and to see, where, where am I? Am I okay? Am I doing what God wants for my life? And that's all, you understand what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. Examination. It's a good opportunity. Just say, God, where am I? Is there anything in my life? I'm going through this and I don't really like it. I may not be to blame for it. I may not have caused it to come into my life. But God, if there's something, I want to know what it is right now in my life. That'd be a pretty pretty important thing to to think about and pray. All right, third uh, excellent tip today. Exploitation. Consecrate adversities. Consequences consecrate or set aside or set up, give up to God, adversities, consequences. If you're familiar with the story, if you're familiar with, with Joseph's story, you know that it just went from bad to worse, right? He, he's thrown into a pit. They're going to murder him. They throw him into a pit uh, to determine whether they're going to murder him. Uh, or somebody comes with the idea, well, maybe we could sell him uh, with this. Here comes a caravan. Now, listen, God has purposes. God has plans, right? God's always working. God's always ahead of whatever we're doing, right? So uh, they throw him in this pit. Should, uh, should we murder him? Should we sell him? They opt for selling him. I guess that's more profitable. He ends up a slave down in Egypt. He's a slave in Egypt, but then he gets accused, falsely accused of attempted rape. He gets thrown in prison where he is forgotten, where he languishes for years. Years. I'm telling you, Joseph's life would make a a great soap opera for years. But here's the thing. Here's what, here's what, here's what we got to get a hold of today. Here's the thing. Joseph never once turned his back on God. Joseph never turned away. Joseph never, there's no evidence that he ever had some self-pity party. Now, listen, I'm sure there were plenty of long nights in that prison cell where Joseph was wondering what in the world is going on. But through it all, here's the, through it all, Joseph kept himself in position to be used by God so that God could be glorified and so that Joseph could be elevated. Listen to me. Joseph made the determination to not let his circumstances exploit him, but he exploited them. To not let his circumstances take advantage of him, he took advantage of his circumstances. He used them to the glory of God. Was it easy? No. Was it unbelievably hard at times? Undoubtedly. But through it all, he trusted God. He said, God, I know God's, God's got a plan. I know he's going to do something. I know that whatever God wants to do, and he made it, and God blessed him. If you read the story, you know God blessed him every step of the way. Even in the midst of the adversity. Even, uh, he's, he's in a pit. He's in slavery. He's in prison. Through every bit of it, God blessed him and used him in a, in a way that is unbelievable exploitation exploit your adversity 
Use it for the glory of God. What if the next time adversity is in your life? What if, this is a novel idea, but what if rather than praying something like, God, take this off of me, right? We, we all know that one by heart. What if we prayed something like, God, take this and use it for your glory? What would that do? How would God use that? And how would that impact our lives? I know when you're in the middle of it. I know it's hard to think of it this way, ladies and gentlemen. But adversity is actually opportunity in disguise. It really is. It really is. Now, it may be a good disguise. It may be a very good disguise. But adversity in your life is actually an opportunity. There's a lot. And there's a lot of opportunity. A lot of things we talk about. But can I just give you a couple of them uh, this morning as, as we move towards the end of this thing. Can I just remind you that adversity is an opportunity to experience God's presence. It's not that we cannot experience God's presence when everything is going great in our life. It's not that we can't, we can. It's not that we can't experience God's presence when the skies are blue and the seas are calm. It's not that we can't, we can. But it is a reality that it is in the brooding, dark times of our life. It is when the waves are crashing and the wind is howling. It is, it is at those times in our life when we recognize how much we need God and how desperate we desire to draw near Him. And as a result of that, how much we can experience His presence in our lives. Here's the way I would put it. Advert, go, go back. I'm sorry, Tyler. When the storm is at its worst, we realize our need for God the most. That's just the way it works, folks. It's an opportunity to experience God's presence in our life. I can tell you in my own life in that adversity, that motorcycle accident, that month in the hospital, I can tell you there were, there were some nights that were, were, were hard. They were rough. And yet there were times, and Cindy knows she was there with me, there were times when God was, the best way I can describe it is God was thick in that room. It's an opportunity. Second, uh, adversity is an opportunity to accomplish God's purpose. What does God want to do with your adversity? I don't know. You don't know. But who knows? Who knows? God, say it. God knows. God knows what he wants to do with your adversity. And, and your adversity is an opportunity for God to accomplish his purposes in a way that brings him glory and, and makes you... Listen, Joseph... By the time he's 30 years old, he's, he's elevated to second in command in all of the nation of Egypt, right? Which was the most powerful nation on earth at that time, which means Joseph was the second most powerful person on earth at that time. I would argue that Joseph was the most powerful person on earth because God was using him in a powerful way. God was using him to save millions and millions of people. Can I tell you this? I don't care what your status in life. I don't care about your income. I don't care your educational level. I don't care about any of that stuff except to say to you that there is no more powerful man or woman on earth than the man or woman who is submitting to God's will and seeking his will for their life. You may think, well, I wish I had made this decision, or if only I had done that, or if only I could make a little bit more, if only I did this. There's no more powerful person on this earth than the person surrendered to God. God used Joseph, think about this now, God God used Joseph to save the people of Egypt, 
because, because he, he interpreted the Pharaoh's dream, told him about the, play, the, the famine that was coming. He used Joseph to save the people of Egypt. He used Joseph to save the, the nation, the kingdom of Egypt. He used Joseph to save his own family who he was eventually reunited with. Which means that God used Joseph to save the line through which the Messiah would come. Remember, one of his brothers was a, a man by the name of Judah. Jesus was the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it would not be a stretch to say that God used Joseph even in part to save us. That's what adversity is. It's an opportunity for God to accomplish his purposes in your life. And to do things that that you and I can hardly even imagine what it would be like. It's hard, but adversity is really an opportunity in disguise. If you'll look at it that way, if you'll believe that God, that having God's presence and being used for God's purposes is the greatest thing that you could ever do with your life, no matter what you have to go through in that process. Okay, finally, fourth tip, expiration. Celebrate adversity's conclusion. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you how long. I can't tell you what it will look like. In this life, what I can tell you, y'all looking at me? Adversity. Your adversity has an expiration date. Your adversity has an expiration date. Would you turn to the person on your left and on your right and say to them, your adversity has an expiration date? Say that to them right now. Your, your adversity has an expiration date. Listen, even if you're not Baptocostal, you can amen that one. Your adversity has a definite expiration date. Like I said, Joseph, he's 17 when it starts. He's 30 when he comes out of that whirlwind. I can't, I can't tell you how long. I can't tell you to what. I, I can only tell you that it has a definite expiration point. I like to every once in a while, no matter what happens in this world, no matter what else, every once in a while I like to turn to Revelation chapter 21. I like to read the back of the book and remind ourselves that, that we win. Revelation chapter 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Watch what he does. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will not exist anymore or mourning or crying or pain or adversity. Why? Because the former things have ceased to exist. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And then he said to me, write it down because these words are reliable and true. And he also said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the one who is thirsty, I will give water free of charge from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. Ladies and gentlemen, you may not be able to alter your adversity, but you do not have to falter in your adversity. Joseph didn't. You don't have to either. I said it last, when we started this sermon series, I'll probably say it throughout this series, but Satan wants to use your adversity to drive you away from God, and God wants to use your adversity to draw you to him. Adversity wants you to feel fear. Adversity wants you to feel neglect. Adversity wants you to, fe- adversity wants you to feel alone. God 
wants you to choose to believe Him. And this is what I said two weeks ago, and I'll keep saying it throughout this thing. Always choose faith over feeling. You may feel alone in the midst of your adversity. Listen to me. You may feel all alone. You are not. What an example Joseph is to us today. A man that was treated unfairly. A man who was seemingly forgotten by everyone. Everyone except God, that is. Even through all of his adversity, God was there with Joseph every step of the way. There may have been some times when Joseph felt alone, but he chose faith over feeling, and that made all the difference in the world. You and I, as well, have to choose faith over feeling when adversity comes into our lives. As Pastor Clay explained today, we can expect adversity to come into our lives. We can examine our adversity to make sure that we are where we are supposed to be with God. We can exploit adversity for our good and for God's glory instead of adversity exploiting us. And finally, we must always remember that adversity has an expiration date. Someday, all the adversity of this world will be a thing of the past, and those who are in Christ will live in His glorious presence forever. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.